For all my children of the light, born in the sinning, but steady striving to do right. My people are warriors, all we know is to fight. Pray, they see God in everything I write here. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On One with Angela Rye. Today, I'm doing a dual podcast with this moment, hosted by influential music artist Jason Diakate and internationally renowned chef Marcus Samuelson. We discussed the new Biden administration, the power of black women, what unifying the country looks like, and of course, cooking. For those who don't know, I'm a huge fan of Chef Marcus's restaurant, Red Rooster in New York. So I definitely had to make sure he gave me some culinary advice. Let's get into it. Tell us like both where you at, like geographically, but also spiritually and mentally in this moment. Oh, I love that question. Um, So I'm in L.A. physically. Um, I feel like I am more present in my body than I've ever been. Um, I started doing this like detox, uh, Marcus, that you may or may not like. Shout out to Red Rooster, by the way. I got a story about Red Rooster. But I've been doing this detox and I took a major break for Thanksgiving and I was like, dang, I don't know if I'm able to get back to it. Mm -hmm. But I really have been able to. So just over the last couple of days doing like a juice cleanse, but um, with the acai bowl, because mm. I need something to chew. We're talking a no sugar, a no sugar, no, like all that food that y'all No dairy, no rooster. meat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like none of it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's just been good because what happened was when I started going through this cleanse process with Queen Apua, by the way, who I love. Shout mm-hmm. out to Queen Apua. I just wanted to um, be more focused on like purpose and mission and not so distracted by food. I feel like sometimes that can be the case, sure. especially during COVID. Like black folks are going to go to comfort, mm-hmm. right? And the food, the comfort is in the food. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I gotta do something different around here because I'm I can't fit my stretch pants. Now you know it gets bad <laughs> when you can't fit the stretch pants. <laughs> I mean, yes. you know, I don't believe you. I don't so, believe you because, no. you know, you share a lot on Instagram. Believe me, <laughs> it was a whole problem. So that happened and it really felt um, more like it just felt spiritual. And I'm, I just feel I feel good. Can I I want to go back and say talk about this moment, because I feel like there's a couple of people in the world that we need to say thank you to, because everything that happened in the election and you are one of them. Stacey Abraham is another one. Tamika Malroy is another one. And of course, Kamala now is going to be sent out to the world. Not just an, she's not the American vice president, only first black. Asian American and African American to the world. But that doesn't happen in a silo. I don't think any of this happens without the grind that Stacey Abraham did, Tamika Malroy did, and Angela Rye. You are in that group. And I, I live in New York. I see it. Me and my wife, we root for you every day when you come back and battle on CNN. And now the world's going to find out because it, it's changed politics forever. H- how are you? Are you tired? Are you excited? You know, how do you feel post-election? Wow. So probably a little bit of both. Um, But first, I really feel like I need to give and pay homage to my leaders. Like it is an honor for me to be able to speak um, and use my voice. But there are so many people that put their bodies on the line every single day. 
Um, some of those folks are sisters who are also in journalism in some way. Others are on the ground. And um, the people that come to mind in particular are Brittany Packnett Cunningham, um, who's a commentator, but more than a commentator, she's also an activist and just started a new podcast. Um, Sunny Hostin, mm-hmm. who of course is on The View, but a legal mind who is brilliant and hilarious. Her book is right here. I'm about to name some of the people that whose books are right there. Um, Jamel Hill, who of yes. course is a writer for The Atlantic um, and holds us down every time she opens her mouth. Um, Alicia Garza, who's another mm-hmm. author right here with The Purpose of Power. Um, of course, a co-creator of Black Lives Matter, um, founder of uh, Black Futures Lab and Black to the Future, which uh, was one of the most comprehensive agendas put out by Black people for Black people after talking to 30,000 Black people this election. Tiffany Cross, also right here, wow. brilliant author, um, incredible host, um, dope writer, just a great sister, Latasha Brown, who you know, single-handedly, whether it was for Doug Jones in Alabama mm-hmm. in that special election or now has carried Black voters on her back um, with Black Voters Matter. And um, Joy Reid, who, of course, like sure. just represents us so well every single weekday night on MSNBC. And um, Aaron Haynes, who is uh, one of the founders of the 19th and is brilliant and represents us so well through the power of the pen. Um, these women are not only my sister friends, but they are people who I look up to. Some of them are younger than me, but I look up to and um, revere greatly, revere greatly. Wow. So all of what I offer is because of them. And of course, my really dope parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So growing up in Washington and growing up in Seattle, I mean, who gave you like the debate skills? Because your debate skills are like, yeah. Where did you sharpen that yeah, sword? Yeah, you know, that I've seen you use many a time. Oh no, shut it down! Shut it down! Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's so funny because people ask this a lot. Um, growing up with my dad, um, Eddie Rye Jr. He like I never, you know, I always had the right to have an opinion. My, my mom is like that too. I say all the time, jokingly, but it's kind of serious. My dad <clears throat> is a bigger feminist than I am. Mm-hmm. So the power of my voice wow. has always um been so I could have an opinion on what we were eating, on you know, where I went to school, on, on what books I read, like always. And my parents um assured me of that. I did not understand elders or old people who um, would shut down the dreams of a young person because I didn't grow up that way. My point of privilege was I grew up in a house where my parents let me be an entrepreneur, selling popsicles and pop (laughs) in front of the house. Um, And they let me try a gazillion things. And so I just, um, I didn't even have a concept for that. So definitely our kitchen table, or even if we were standing around in the kitchen eating was always like, a debate. And I didn't know it was argumentative until in relationships later, right? Where they're like, why are you always fighting? I'm like, I'm fighting. I didn't know I was fighting. <laughs> I didn't so know you I was got fighting. your 10,000 hours, you got your 10,000 hours of honing that, <laughs> that skill without you even knowing about it. But, that's facts. I definitely hmm. didn't know that I was arguing. Yeah. But that's a beautiful testament. I mean, a lot of the people that I see, you know, people that are good in negotiation and so forth, when you talk to them about it, you know, you dig deep. It's usually in childhood that that happens, you know, without you knowing it. It just goes into your spine and it becomes second nature. And it really has to be, you know, I've I've spent time researching, you know, I live in Sweden. My parents are American. Uh, 
but the CNN we get in Sweden is not the same as in it the sure United States. It? We get CNN International. Yeah. No. So I've, I've spent time researching you and I've seen so many clips of you in these debates, you know, with that sharpened sword. And one thing that struck me is that, well, both that you have that warrior spirit, there's a fearlessness, and also there's a very, you know, I feel like you're speaking for for us, for me, for my family. You know, uh, my dad is an African-American. My, uh, my mom is a white American, but still it's for us. It's for our side. One thing I, I, I thought about, I saw you in a debate with the with, let's say, the opposing team on Chris Cuomo uh, the other day. And one thing is protecting the narrative and making sure that the other narrative doesn't go unchallenged and unchecked. I mean, that's the same in Europe and globally. Right. And and that one version of truth isn't the the dominant one that it's checked and you're on the barricades checking that. But another thing I thought was like, do you believe, do you think that you can actually change opinions? Like, like reach the people on that other side. There's so much talk about, you know, is Joe Biden and, and Kamala, are they going to unify the country? Unity. Are we going to like the polarization of not just the United States of America, but the, the global polarization that's going on. Do you think that it's actually possible to change the opinion of the, let's say, the other side? Um, here's what here's what I believe. Um, I believe that a changed mind is always a possibility. Otherwise, um, I wouldn't engage in discussion. And I, sometimes the, I need to be the one that has a shift in my perspective. Mm. Um, what I can tell you, honestly, is that um, a lot of the ways in which people are asked to engage on cable news is not going to be the way that minds are changed. Um, it is something that um, really has disturbed me because I really crave um, an elevated discourse. Oh. I really do. I don't think that, um, you know, uh, when you're set up as it's about to be a battle royale, a clash mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that anybody's minds are changed because egos are showing up to have a discussion. And so if you can instead shift to say, OK, I, I really want to understand your point of view because I really don't get it. What is it? And then where did it come from? And, you know, who hurt you <laughs> sometimes? Right. Like if you have to go down that far. And you just don't have that space in a segment. Um, and so what I've worked really, really hard on, you guys, is to create that kind of space on my podcast, um, to create that kind of space in learning from some of the best. I just did a podcast recently with a young lady who's 10 years old and is a journalist. And she's like, I'm like, OK, how do you decide to ask these questions? Like, I want to be the type of apprentice where no matter someone's age or experience, or their difference in posture, I want to be able to learn from something from everybody. And I can only teach as much as I'm willing to learn myself. Mm -hmm. And so that I think is really becoming a shift. I get that like, there are a whole lot more viral moments when I was in the posture of like, let me set you straight. Mm -hmm. But I would rather um, approach someone with the spirit of love and a desire to shift together mm -hmm. because we are too divided right now. That doesn't mean that like I'm going to go out here and be like hugging folks in MAGA hats. Right. But I am saying <laughs> no, like if I'm you're willing, if you're willing to see that your ways are actually harmful to others, like I'm willing to engage in that. Mm -hmm. But I want to be I want to protect my own energy and space because I've left 
several segments on air where I'm like crying. I'm mm. so upset. I'm crying. But I could tell from the passion that you yeah, bring no, to that. No, you, you bring know, the passion that you bring to it. And this is not just a, a with you or with any of us, just a point of opinion. It's, you, you know, for who you are as a person, like physically and spiritually from your ancestry heritage and where you stand. Right. Uh, uh, be standing up against white supremacy is not a it's not even a matter of choice the way I see it. And that's the way I was raised too. It's, you know, genetically it's something that we have to do, right? There's no other side. Right. When you break something down or you go on the, you know, the Breakfast Club or you go on other shows, right? It includes a huge part of the population that completely feel disengaged. And I think that's one of the things that I appreciate the most. Politics is also about living in more informed healthier life and that is the space that i feel like you navigated very very well even 10 years ago it wasn't the same type of political conversation so i want to thank you so thank much you. for that connectivity my other follow-ups are two two-folded a you know the list came out this incredible communication team that joe biden and kamala vice president kamala harris put together these are all colleagues these are all friends uh, of yours um, what do you expect from just from the communication and how do we now hold people that we feel probably more engaged with? How do we hold people account? It was easier probably when there was the circus that we have right now, right? The starting point is basically you lie and why are you lying, right? Now there's people that we all know or we are engaged with in some level how do we keep the same fire with some people that we respect? It's almost harder in a way. So, you know, especially for someone like yourself, because these are all people that you rub shoulders with. Uh, and the, the folks who are named that are actually friends, um, it, there won't be any challenge because they know exactly where I stand and why I stand there. So there won't be any, any challenge there. I'll tell you that the bigger concern I have right now is who mm -hmm. is black in the cabinet? Right. Like what are what are we actually mm -hmm. doing? Do you understand, Joe Biden, that black people dragged you across the finish line in the primary and in the general? And therefore, there should be some restorative reparative reparation justice <laughs> to ensure that we actually mm -hmm. are not only seen and visible, but that you're hearing and all of our power. Like I, what I'm not doing is there, there have been so many pieces about which part of the demographic won him the election. And the truth is that it was black people who carried him across the finish line yes. in Milwaukee, in Philadelphia, in Georgia. Detroit, this period. Like there's no point of discussion. And so what I would like to see and quickly is for Joe Biden's team, the, you know, mm -hmm. the white men who have been around him for decades to pivot because they're not serving him well if they don't tell him the truth. Um, I am comforted by the fact that Cedric Richmond, who of course is a member from um, New Orleans, uh, a member of Congress from New Orleans and also um, someone who is a former Congressional Black Caucus chair, had an extensive agenda while he was chair for Black people. Um, I'm comforted that he'll be right there in, in, in the, in the inner, inner circle. I also think it's important for Joe Biden's um, team to understand that, yes, you picked Kamala, but you wouldn't have won without Kamala. And so that does yeah. not suffice as the only person, you know... To be in the cabinet. Not cabinet as a Black woman. There needs to be a black man. There's been a lot of discussion about Tony West 
um, for attorney general who was over the civil rights division under Eric Holder. Um, he happens to be Kamala's brother-in-law, but he is incredible. And there isn't anybody more qualified than mm-hmm. Tony. So that's the conversation that's happening right now. Congresswoman Marsha Fudge um, for agriculture. She, most of what happens in the Department of Ag is not about farming. It doesn't mean that there should be a blind eye turned to farmers, particularly black sure. and brown farmers. But a lot of that is about food security, right? Mm-hmm. SNAP benefits. There's yeah, nobody absolutely. better on that issue than Marsha Fudge. We're not, we shouldn't be talking mm-hmm. about Tom Vilsack. We should not be talking about Heidi Heitkamp. We should not continue to make pathways for folks who, at the majority level, did not vote for you, mm-hmm. right? 55% this time of white women voted for Donald Trump. Why are we having all these conversations to accommodate people who aren't even checking for you? Right. That doesn't make sense. So I think that we need to make sure that we shore up uh, the base of the party. And that is by doing right by people, finally, who have always saved it from itself. Yeah. Now, and and, then taking it back to what I was asking you about before, maybe this election was in hearing you speak, not so much about, you know, uh, changing the opinion of the, say, opposing uh, opposing team, but of actually re-energizing and inspiring the own yeah. team, right? The, the people to go out and vote Democratic and not just stay at home and feel uh, uh, complacent about it. And that was the huge difference. That's the thing, right? Like they can easily go there. It almost went there this time. But black people were facing, mm. you know, racism in this country um, brought to light by, you know, Breonna Taylor, Maude Arbery and um, George Floyd. Uh, black people are facing mm. uh, economic injustice brought to light by <laughs> COVID, by everything else that we're experiencing, and of course, COVID. And those disparities in saying, okay, I can continue to play footsie with this terrorist who's currently in the White House, or I can try to bet on somebody that I think at least, you know, served with the the first Black president, perhaps understands these issues a little better. He said some things that are troubling me. He's done some things that are troubling to me. But I want to believe that he could change if he's surrounded by the right people. Which brings us right back to the main point. He's got to be surrounded by the right people. <laughs> yeah. I think there are three major moments that made the election happen, and they might not be in the right order, but I do think that um, starting with COVID, it changed the trajectory completely for, you know, there's six million people gap in, in terms of who voted for Joe Biden versus, um, um, you know, 45. But that mishandle on that people on the sideline was that wasn't sure that was just happy to go along i'm not sure there would have been a change without that so that's one major fact number two it is when joe biden goes to south carolina because before south carolina he was behind you know big and it was a lot of black people that were waiting it's going to happen in south carolina he got carried over in south carolina and then i think thirdly it is all the movement that happens around Black Lives Matter, right? Those three things for me, we would not necessarily have, we wouldn't be in the same place. And I couldn't tell you which one is 80% of this or 30, 30, 30. I'm not sure. But these three moments for me starts, for me, really why 2020 changed in the election. I'm not sure it would have done without any of that. And the sad part about that is that tons of people had to fight and die that was unnecessary if we would have dealt that and that that is something there's going to be tons of post-election why now is not the time but as a person that lives in the united states that love new york city that loves harlem that love america 
I'm unpacking that right now when I'm thinking about that. And um, it's not pretty. Oh. Uh, and um, I mean, I don't know if, if what's, what's your thoughts on that? I, well, I agree with you. I think mm-hmm. it's, um, it is, it was the intersection of the convergence of those, you know, three things, our economics, um, COVID and, and the racism. And I hear you on the Joe, Joe Biden in South Carolina, but again, that's Congressman Clyburn, you know, that's the whip of the, of the house. And I think that right now, you know, we find ourselves in a really, um, interesting position because, uh, Congressman Clyburn is now saying, Hey, you need to pick some more black people, black women in senior roles. But during the general, when we were trying to get Joe Biden to pick a black woman, you know, Congressman Clyburn was saying he could pick whomever he wants. Why is that shifting now? We have to be consistent in what we say um, and in our approach. And um, his voice is major. You know, there isn't there isn't anyone in Democratic politics that doesn't listen to what Congressman Clyburn says. And so I think that his consistency is super, super important right now, um, especially when we talk about not diversifying the cabinet for the sake of it look, looking like the face of America. This cabinet actually needs to be blacker than the face of America because that's who won Joe Biden the election. When you look at um, progressives and how they're able to make demands of more conservative or moderate Democrats, they don't hold back. They say these are the things that we require. And for whatever reason, when it comes to black and brown folks, the expectation is that we sit idly by and that we're quiet and we just wait. Don't worry, they're going to get to you. That doesn't work. And, And the last thing I'll say is, Joe Biden and his team will be making a terrible mistake if they try to go about this presidency in the same ways that Barack Obama did. Barack Obama mm. has limitations that Joe Biden has never had yes, to deal no, with absolutely. in his white life. Yes, absolutely. Right. You are you have white yeah. privilege. So use it. Use your white privilege to open mm. doors for black people, for the for the allies you had. Right. To help you win this election. And I think the yeah. other important things is that there's, you know, Again, he was dragged across the finish line. This wasn't an excitement about Joe Biden thing. This was a fighting to live thing. This was, you know, all about doing, you know, what they think might be better. So you need to blow them out the water for Kamala in four years because you said you're not running again. Donald Trump is already starting to raise money for four years from now. So you have to kill it. All of that is in the balance of the Senate, which, of course, mm-hmm. uh, there will be a runoff in January mm-hmm. for two sentences that will dictate just how bold he will be able to be, at least from a legislative perspective. For our international audience yeah. and, and for myself included in that, who are not as familiar with the, you know, the American compared to the European systems, which is kind of a straightforward democratic you know, one person, one vote, the vote goes direct to the candidate or party that you voted for. You know, the American system is full of complexities also for being such a young democracy that it is. Um, why does an election like the Georgia one come to a runoff? What does that runoff? I, I understand the end result. What's in the I, what's hanging in the balance is the majority in the Senate. But how come it comes to a runoff and what how does that actually play out? Yeah, so that's a great question. What a runoff is normally because um, a candidate doesn't reach the 50% or more threshold. So that means that they Mm -hmm. didn't have a clear winner in the Raphael Warnock um, versus Kelly Leffler race. um, There were several candidates in the race. And so it was, you know, 30%. uh, Raphael did Mm -hmm. the best 30%, 16%, 20%, you know, all of these. And, um, 
he had to um, he had to has to do the runoff because again nobody was at the fifty percent threshold. With David Perdue versus John Ossoff, the same thing happened. Um, just in the same way that we were talking about black people coming to the table, saving Joe Biden, including in Georgia, they did the same thing in the John Ossoff mm-hmm. race. Which what mm-hmm. I think is great about it in Georgia, or great about in Georgia, is it wasn't just. Um, Atlanta. It wasn't just Fulton County. It was a Fulton County, DeKalb, uh, uh, um, um, Cobb, and Clayton counties that really you saw a surge, a huge surge in Black voter turnout. Um, So that's what's happening there. And it's just super important. What I think is so incredible about this Georgia runoff is there are celebrities from all over the country and influencers from all over the country who really want to get involved to the point where Everybody could focus yeah, on Georgia. Yeah, because they know what's in the yeah. what's hanging in the yeah. balance. Literally, nothing yeah, will get out of the Senate. Uh, they won't be able to appoint any cabinet secretaries. No judges. No, exactly. no ability to move a stimulus mm-hmm. package for people who are suffering right now. If we don't get the Senate, and so um, I'm thinking about me saying we because normally I'm like the Democrats, but in this moment it's we because I want to get something done. Even yeah. if I don't like mm-hmm. the whole thing, yeah. I know it'll be better than not getting anything done. Mm. Can, can I can I just ask you one thing about um, you know, in cooking, yes, the, I want to talk about the cooking. key. Okay. <laughs> the key is anonymous queen that shouldn't be anonymous and were never anonymous in their community, right? They were black women very often, and they were activists and advocates, very often activists in the civil rights movements, quietly, and some of them not so quietly. So, we have incredible examples. We have Miss Leah Chase. From New Orleans, you know, with Duke Chase that you just passed, we have someone like Sylvia Woods just to walk away from me from, you know, iconic Sylvia. But we also have a lot of people that were not known, Sophia Wright or Miss Georgina that raised money for Club of Nowhere, where she raised $100 a week by making pies. She's a mother of six. She got up six o'clock in the morning, at three o'clock in the morning, baked pies, and then donated to the civil rights movement, right? So those were were cooking and women were entrepreneurial, but activists and advocates. I feel like you are also an advocate and an activist and an entrepreneur. Finding that space, how did you land and find, because those are three different pockets that goes into one, right? You're an entrepreneur. You're definitely an advocate for the culture. Mm-hmm. But you're also an activist, a modern way mm-hmm. activist. How did, for people who are inspired to be part of activism and being entrepreneurs, what are the advice, particularly for women of color? You know, my holistic therapist started saying to me the other day to stay in my lane. And I started, I asked her, I was like, I don't feel like I have a lane. And she was like, but it's, it's whatever space you occupy. And that was such a free, uh, freeing moment for me because I remember in law school, um, somebody saying like, Angela, you can't be a jack of all trades. You have to be a master or something. And that felt so confining to me. I'm like, I feel like I'm supposed to do more than one thing. And um, I decided to just try things. I think the biggest um, lie we tell young people is like, you have to pick a thing like, are you going to be a firefighter or not? Like, you know, like you have to pick a thing, like, you know, 
And I think that life is about um, the journey. It's just about experiencing several things. And if you have an interest in serving your community, maybe that won't be your primary job, but that doesn't mean you don't have any way of giving back. I think, Marcus, you've also done this very well. Like you've used your kitchen, your space, your ability to cook to serve the public in two ways, some for, for free, some for a fee, right? And I think there are so many other ways that we can um, we can bring our skills to bear, even if, you know, there are skills and gifts, plural and talents, plural, to bear to serve the people. Um, I think the most important thing to me is um, righteousness and fairness. And so everything that I do is about ensuring not that I'm seen, but that I'm opening a door. Not that, you know, I um, I go in to, you know, to kill it and make the most money, but that I go in to have the greatest impact to touch the most amount of people. And that is what is always at the intent of what I'm doing. There are moments where it's off kilter and I'll know because I'm like, mm, that doesn't feel authentic to me. And those are the moments where I have to shift where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, ego is leading here or proving a point out to, you know, proving something to somebody is the point or. I'm going to get you back or whatever that is. And I think that's the moment where it becomes a distraction. But even, you know, with this election and trying to see shifts with uh, the Biden administration and otherwise incoming Biden administration, it's about what is right for the people. That is where I'm going to be. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to call you out. I'm trying to make sure we get to the yeah. right place. Another thing that I, I that I carry with me, there's this like almost election myopia that happens each American election is that, you know, even though, uh, you know, even way before Trump, uh, the, the GOP has been laying the groundwork f since forever of suppressing the black vote, not only the black vote, but the brown vote and making it harder for non GOP voters to actually get an ID in Alabama because he closed down the, the, the DMVs. And it's like the election is always so dramatic and it takes up, it sucks out all the air. So it's like, you never get to the point where, well, can we deal with this voter suppression sure, so that sure. next time around people actually have access to the vote. And again, looking through it from a European perspective where we're sitting right now, where access to the vote is never the question or access to ID or the you know, votes aren't suppressed in that way other than just, um, you know, that people people fall into complacency and don't want to go to vote. But the access is there mm -hmm. like that. How can that be? I mean, ever since the Voting Rights Act and up until the Supreme Court shut it down again in, in 2015, you know, that the groundwork has been laid to, to kind of keep suppressing the vote, gerrymandering, closing down DMVs, making it difficult. And if that isn't freed up, then we're always going to be in these tight races. I think there are a number of things. One is, um, um, I think the case you're referencing is Shelby versus Holder, and that was in 2013. And that's mm. when they virtually gutted the, the, the voting right rights act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know... And, and I think that the important thing to understand here is that um, you're talking about intent and will. And there are enough people who are, you know, in elected office to do the right thing, but they don't want to because them vote to cast our ballots without restriction. Mm -hmm. 
um, doesn't serve them because if we cast our ballots without restriction, they'll never win. Um, and so that is the main thing to understand that, yeah, there are people who know this is wrong, but they also know that it's benefiting them. And so they have we have to hope that we have folks in office who are paid with our tax dollars mm -hmm. that will do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because it serves them or not. Mm -hmm. um, you saw an increase, a surge in voter ID laws and the cutting back of early voting days and making absentee voting much harder. When in 2010, after Barack Obama became president in 2008, right? So there was a push to actually shore up voter suppression efforts. They won't call it voter suppression efforts. They'll, of course, say. And even so, we won, right? Even so, we won in 2020, which makes that win yeah, even but, more I incredible. Yeah, but I mean, the road to COVID, yeah. mm, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? So it's like... I want to I switch to some uh, goodies, like some quick things here. So <laughs> right now, when you're not, what's what's in your kitchen? What are you cooking? Taking the cleanse aside, what are you eating if you don't have time to cook? Because a lot of people have now, because of the uh, pandemic, started to cook more. So what's in your kitchen? What, what What's it good? If I'm coming over, if we're coming over to Angela's house, what do we eat? First of all, this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. <laughs> 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 uh, master classes and one yeah. of my master classes was with patty labelle and um yeah, yes she she taught me how to make um some salmon uh like salmon cakes they were so good but um i love cooking and the places where i need the most help marcus are my presentation, because I feel like my food tastes better than I can throw it on the plate. Mm -hmm. And like learning how to time myself in the kitchen because I feel like I'll make something and then it's been sitting too long and now it's cold. And so there's like all that. And then I really wanted to take you in here because it is a hot ass mess. Like I have so much stuff. So like I, I was like, I need to go through my spice cabinet and like put yeah. it in alphabetical order or something. Mm -hmm. So I need to know all you the tricks. When you need <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, two, the first two of those, we're going to have solutions to easily right after, you know, when we when we can hang out again. Right. Number one, me, Jason, and I owe you one. So I'm coming over and cooking with you so that we can do that in New York, L.A., whatever you want. That's done. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, food in general, I always feel like if everyone just learned to cook, just like 10, 20%, a little bit better, right? Because then we will eat better. Seasonality will come into play, right? We will probably eat less animal protein as well, which is something we all need to start thinking about cooking and eating based on a spiritual compass. For cleaning out the pantry... Mm, can't just, help you with that just, one. We just, just gotta do it. I can't yeah. find anything, and because I can't find it, I go buy it. So I have like three things of flour right now, or like yeah. five cayenne peppers. Like it's ridiculous. I, I bet you, Marcus's pantry looks the same okay, way. Well, I, I, I bet. Okay, you. well, I feel better now. Now I'm gonna be like, this is actually the pantry of a chef. And, and we just did. We just did a cook. We just cooked together. And, and Marcus did actually, as far as presentation, there was one thing that I yeah. picked up and. It was like looking at the space of the plate and and like spacing things out, like not putting things like in the middle of the plate. That, that yeah, was some they, of the stuff I was catching on. There's this actually is second nine, nature to you, but to us, it's all new. Yeah, there's nine steps that we can kind of break down. They're very simple. We can all taste salt, sweet, sour, bitter, spicy, and umami. Right? That, those are the six flavor points that we all and probably umami is probably the one that got to us. On this side of the world, the Western world, the last, right? Umami is That's the why we love 
a burger. There's a lot of umami in a burger, uh, in parmesan Tomato. cheese, in miso soups, right? So those are over there. But then also the other reason why we love things is also because aesthetic, just like you said, right? So when you plate something, you want to plate in odd numbers. Maybe you want to put three carrots on the plates or five things on the plate or oh. seven, not beyond that. I oh, will tell like you this. No pressure, no pressure. You just asked about uh, what I'm cooking. I'm going to tell you what I made for Thanksgiving. Yeah. So mm. for Thanksgiving, the, my responsibilities were mac and cheese, okay. which... Like, I will put that up against anybody's. It's good. Nice. My candy yams, unbeatable. I made sweet potato cupcakes, oh, which wow. were very good. Oh. I made um, a cranberry. It was a cranberry upside down cake, but I'm not. So I never do a recipe like as I see it. I always have to remix it. Um, I blame that on 90s R&B hip hop. So the remix was. <laughs> remix was always better. <laughs> the remix was always better. The, the remix the, was the always remix, better. The remix was um, adding pineapple to it. So I Ooh. put crushed pineapple okay. in the batter and then on the, yes. the case where you bake it and kind of caramelize the top. And it was really good. I mm-hmm. love that. That's Black good. Black Eyed Peas. So Sounds like you did a good 60% of that dinner. But who yeah. else was that? T- like, did everybody bring something to the whole family? What, what is so it? So my like? boyfriend made fried turkey. Um, and then he made the greens. And let me tell you guys, this was so shameful. I was like, do you know what you're doing? Like, I was so on him. Because <laughs> the greens is normally my responsibility. And I told him, I said, your greens are better than mine. Like, they were, he did. So, okay. He See, that's it. magnanimous of you. He oh. killed it. Yeah. That's yeah. really nice. See, they, you know, in giving that space and being able I to give it up. I did not give like, space. Yeah. Let me that's tell you beautiful. what I didn't do was give space. I was on. <laughs> he worked under I was pressure. On his but once ass. the result. Like, I was like. You gave him his props. This was me. <laughs> I was like, what yes. are you doing? So good though. He killed But it. at the end of the day, you gave him his props. He got yeah, his props. No, he, yeah, no, he was and fantastic. I think that Mm-hmm. We all know that the turkey is just the reason to set at the table, but it's the sides, it's the second and the third days left over that are really the good stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't know, I don't know anyone actually that prefers the turkey before the leftovers and sides. And, you mm-hmm. know, we talked a lot about a lot in the show, but, you know, uh, Jason's mom has a really good sweet potato souffle. So I think one of those sides you need to take back, Angela. Like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> uh, Jason's mom might, we might. But it's a complex dish to make, man. <laughs> you know, that's all for like, like there's so few Americans in the small town in Sweden where I'm from that we, the, all the Americans would get together Aww. and celebrate Thanksgiving. And it was a big deal, right? Yes. Because this is the one big, you know, forget the heritage of why you know the roots of thanksgiving but just the the communal uh, the communal thing of gathering around that turkey and everything um mm. so everybody would cook like one thing and bring and her thing was this sweet potato souffle and it's magnificent mm. but mm. that in its in itself takes a good six hours to prepare well so. you can bring it and i'll take it as a challenge i, wouldn't recommend I feel it. like sweet potato souffle is just mm. sweet potato pie filling but let's see about this let's see if i'm wrong yeah yeah, okay. yeah, 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 okay, yeah, 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 absolutely. Got, I'll bring I, it. I'll I got, bring it. I got a couple more very, very quick ones as well. Like, what's what's on the Angela playlist right now? What are we excited about music-wise? Like, you know, what do we? Yeah, what do we like? you know, I just found out. I guess it was. I think it was Sunday. Was the 25th anniversary of the My Life album Mary J, and I was like, how? Oh yeah, oh, wow. How am yeah. I this oh, cool. yeah. So I've been bumping Mary J. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love. Mm-hmm. There's something that I just started listening to that just came out. I listened to the Meg Thee Stallion album. It was a little much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like her. She's got some bops, but I, you know, I everything don't have to be about 
money and sex and paying for it because that's I mean you know I think yeah. there are other ways to have those conversations and um, yeah no, we, we got kids at home too so I don't dare really play WAP definitely can't have the video on at home it's just the, yeah you know. what <laughs> but, all the songs kind of sound like WAP honestly I feel like it's a whole lot of yeah, extra yeah. WAP yeah. on there that's like all right what else are we doing <laughs> But we got, I got to give it to Mary J because, you know, when yeah, Kamala stepped classy. out, when Kamala walked, did that walk. It was I, to Mary J. Well, well, Brother Van tried to say it was for Beyonce and he got, he got like, thrum, thrum. you know, Angela's yeah. like, what are you doing, Van? Like, what are you doing, Mr. Jones? Don't show your age. That was Mary J. Man, I don't yeah, know what yeah. happened. I'm going to just say that he probably had, you know. Was up late and didn't sleep and made a made a excited, excited. Mm-hmm. But the excited. thing I will tell you too, really quick on on music. Um, I don't know how many of us would have gotten through quarantine without Be Nice. And so, yes. what's right, really right, on my right, playlist right. is up. anything Shout out that he's Down playing. Productions. You know, he's just been such an incredible gift to all of us. I'm thankful that I can call him my brother for real. Uh, you know, through this yeah. time. So it's, you know, I'm just, I'm open. I feel like my ears have been open. I've been bumping. Yeah. Fela Kuti. I've been like, on, you know, on yeah. stuff. But it's yeah. not That's what you need in, in an American election. And I will also say, I will also say, and I always say that to our American guests, that the fact that like the big difference now between like Black Lives Matter in 13, 14, 15, and in 20 was that was just the global that the answer that resonated across the globe where you had BLM demonstrations in countries I didn't even know there were black people in, you know, mm-hmm. but just like from New Zealand to uh, East Europe to England to Holland and Sweden, you know, in a quarantine, people still in a pandemic, people still came out in a way that I've in my lifetime never seen before. I know we're running out of time, so I have two more questions before we gotta run, 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 run. So it's two things what I'm really impressed with. It's choices, and we talked about it a little bit. You could clearly, clearly, your choices, you could have started your own law firm, be a partner in the law firm, had a much different route, but you choose to do this journey, which I think is just excellent and brilliant. But the other choice is gonna come down the road is so my calling is to create space for conversation and for to use my words as uh, a tool for healing um and to create opportunities for other young people that's what i believe i'm supposed to do so i'm leaning a lot more into content creation um Signing a book deal mm, pretty soon. Like, there you go. Week. There you go. Um, and then yeah, like I, I really, I, I want to be a communicator and a bridge for my community. Like I know the things mm-hmm. that need to be done. Thanks, thank mm-hmm. God, the policy experience or for policy experience and being raised by an activist. I want to work on those things and make sure that we're communicating about them in ways that are beneficial, where our folks feel heard and not feel invisible. Who are my children of the light? Striving to do right, my people are warriors. All we know is the fight, praying to seek God and everything I write. Yeah.